The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 13. Defeat means nothing but defeat. Lana and I reached the apartment just as the world was starting to feel like morning. There were no signs of gray on the horizon yet, but the moon and stars had disappeared a long time ago. One bright thing remained in the sky. I thought it might be Venus, known as the morning star in some circles, but I wasn't positive. The birds were beginning to wake up too. As I got out of my car, I could hear them chirping away like everything was great. I could hear their little wings whirring as they flitted from branch to branch and whizzed in and out of the trees. Emily Dickinson's line, Hope is the thing with feathers, came to mind as I shut my car door. Somehow, though, it just didn't ring true that day. The birds didn't make me feel hopeful. They made me feel irritated because it was six in the morning and I still hadn't slept. I wanted to forget that any of this had happened. I wanted to go to sleep and wake up and hope that Brad had been found by then. I couldn't do that for two reasons. First, Crown had asked all four of us to convene at his apartment. Second, Lana was bound and determined not to let me forget about anything. She chirped the lock on her car and we headed toward the entrance to the apartment. I found myself watching the street closely as we walked along. When I came here... I assumed it was going to be totally safe. I thought there wouldn't be any sort of crime, and I thought we would all be comfortable walking down the middle of the road in the dark without a second thought. There's plenty of crime where I come from, but somehow this felt worse. Crime feels impersonal when you're in the big city. You don't know the people involved. You have no idea what the motive was. Here it felt personal. It felt like anybody could turn on you at any moment. I can't believe this happened here. This is such a safe town, Lana said as we walked toward the door. Yeah, well, apparently not, I said. I wasn't trying to be a jerk exactly, but that seemed like a dumb thing for her to say right now. She didn't seem to appreciate my response, so I softened it for the sake of keeping the 6 a.m. peace. Stuff like this is bound to happen every now and then, I said. She grunted. We made our way up the steps as quietly as we could. So there was... there was a lot of blood? Lana asked. What? At the crime scene, Crown Crown said there was a lot of blood. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of blood. I really didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to go to my room and pop open a can of soda and listen to something on repeat until I erased the mental image of all that blood smeared across the door. Lana seemed to think we should talk about it, though, and I guess I couldn't falter for that. People cope in different ways and all that. Was it... I mean, were you scared? She asked. Scared wasn't exactly the right word. There were still so many feelings twisted up in my gut, I didn't have any idea how to even begin sorting them out. It was... surreal, I replied, and thankfully she left it at that. This might be Lana's way of coping, but it didn't mean it was mine. 
I liked these people, but that didn't mean I was ready to unpack every detail of my heart and soul to them. We padded along the carpeted hallway, passing our own door and continuing until we reached Crown and Sam's. They had a whiteboard on their door like it was a dorm, which kind of made sense given the fact that about half of the other residents of this building were grad students. Lana pulled her keyring out of her pocket and let us in without knocking. I still didn't have the guts to do that, even though I thought it was cool the other three were so comfortable and I did in fact have a key. I had been in their apartment several times before, of course, but my visits had been brief. Crown wasn't in the living area, so I took a moment to look around and evaluate the space. The room itself was all toned in shades of black and white and gray. The only real color came from a cactus plant in the corner, and even that managed only a dull brownish green. There were a couple framed newspaper articles, keeping with the black and white theme, and a small television in the corner. I wondered if it was black and white too. Other than that, the room was pretty sparse. The apartment generally gave me the feeling of being trapped in a black and white movie. I felt like if I were to speak, the sound would be distorted, or perhaps it would come out as a song, and maybe some other people would file into the room and start a dance. I really did hate black and white movies. They kind of made me want to barf. The apartment wasn't quite that bad. They kept it tidy, though, and that was a big upgrade from the dorm where I had done my undergrad work. There's something about being adults, paying your own non-bundled rent and tuition, and cooking all of your own meals that kind of grows you up a little bit. Maybe. I'm not sure. Sometimes I still feel like that same scared freshman showing up to my dorm and finding a pile of pepperoni under my bunk bed. Crown emerged from one of the bedrooms and nodded at us. He had changed into sweatpants and a t-shirt again, and I kind of wish I would have changed on the way here. I supposed I could still go back and do it, but all I could think about right now was sinking into one of those cushy couches and pulling a blanket down around my shoulders. Who cares if my jean cuffs are wet with street water, right? We saw something weird at the arcade, Lana blurted out immediately. Crown went to grab his laptop. Sam's almost back, he said. Do you mind waiting to talk about it until we can all compare notes? Lana nodded. Sure thing. She proceeded to fold her arms and go stand in the corner of the room, which I immediately kind of hated. For some reason, I really wanted her to sit down, but Lana was more of the pacing kind. It made me nervous. Crown walked over to a surge protector plugged into one of the outlets and flipped the switch. Multicolored twinkle lights popped on all along the ceiling. They were the sort that you put on a Christmas tree. Red, pink, gold, green, blue. The unlit strand blended in so well to the corner of the ceiling that I hadn't noticed them at all until he turned them on. Are those still from Christmas? Lana asked. No, they're hanging there for some other reason, I said. Wait, Crown, they are from Christmas, right? He ignored me, which I probably deserved. Got anything we can eat? I asked. I'm actually starving. Yeah, knock yourself out. Crown gestured toward the doorway to the kitchen. I grabbed myself a bag of barbecue potato chips and a two liter of root beer and returned to the living room. 
It was kind of a gross combination, but it sounded like exactly the sort of disgusting decadence I needed right now. I made my way back to the living room where Lana had pulled out a much more sensible kettle and collection of teas. I found myself focusing on the leftover Christmas lights strung around the room. Though initially they had seemed out of place, they were providing a strange sense of calm and perhaps even a sense of hope. Their mere existence suggested that the world was off kilter, but someday soon the holidays would roll around and the world would continue to spin on. Sam arrived just then. He shrugged off a heavily worn and dull brown leather jacket and hung it up on a coat hook. Well, that was fun, Sam said. Anybody else spend a couple hours looking for a runaway college student tonight? Because I did. That was fun. I'm actually not so sure he's a runaway, Crown said. He had taken the seat next to me and was currently typing while he talked. Please, Sam scowled. What's the alternative? Someone kidnapped an astrophysics grad? Maybe they're going to force him to rebuild the Death Star? Everyone seemed a little on edge tonight, which was probably to be expected. Sam sat down across from me and put both of his feet on the coffee table. He just left, man. Guy was always talking about how insane his workload was. I glanced at Crown. If Brad really had been overwhelmed at school, that did sound somewhat relevant. To his credit, Crown glanced up and typed a few more things. So he talked about his workload a lot, he asked. Yeah, I mean, I guess I heard him say that once or twice too, Lana said. But I'm not sure it was bad enough that he would have just left. It just sounded like he hadn't been in the game for a while and it kind of surprised him. Plus, if he just left, why would there be blood on his door? Crown typed some more. Anxiety over grad school doesn't have to just be anxiety over grad school. It could also be indicative that there was something else going on at school, he theorized. Maybe something of a more personal nature. My mind flashed back to Brad and Reed arguing over that paper. Lana handed Sam a bag of chips. We passed it around a few times with Crown mostly abstaining. Did anyone find anything tonight? Crown asked as he finished typing up his notes. Lana, I think you had something you wanted to share. Lana recounted what had happened, and Crown paused several times to ask clarifying questions, typing steadily throughout her entire story. I filled in bits and pieces along the way. I contemplated whether or not to mention the shadow figure I had seen reflected in the game screen. I was 98% sure that the figure had existed solely in my imagination, but given the fact that the door had closed and locked behind us, I figured I'd better tell Crown. Still, I wasn't about to infer that it was a ghost, not here in front of everyone. There was one point when I was in the arcade where I thought I saw someone behind me, reflected in a screen, I said. It sounded really stupid out loud. I mean, I'm almost positive that I just imagined it. I was kind of on high alert. I tried to stay vague. Given Crown's ghost hunting pursuits, I didn't want to give him anything extra to work with. Crown nodded and kept typing. That's interesting, he said. Let's say you did actually see a person. Would there have been time for them to run away before you turned around and saw them face to face? I hesitated 
suddenly overcome with the embarrassment of not having the guts to turn around and look sooner. Maybe, I said. He nodded. Anybody else want tea? Lana asked and headed over to the cart. Sure, I said, grateful for the interruption. Chamomile? Crown moved on to a new topic and I relaxed a bit. I just can't believe that this is happening in Burning Rock, Lana said, handing me a mug of tea. I took it gratefully. I mean, nothing like this ever happens here, she said. I know everyone says that about their small town, but it's because it's true. Literally nothing happens in small towns. She slammed her own mug down on the coffee table with what was probably a little too much unintentional force. Sorry, she mumbled. Sam, who had both arms draped over the back of the couch almost defiantly, looked like he wanted to say something, but stayed silent instead. I gotta say, it's not what I expected when I came here, I said. All my life, it had been implied or outright stated that life would be safer, slower, and quieter in a small town. That really wasn't proving to be the case. Sam looked up at me, and there was a knowing expression in his eyes. Not exactly what it said on the tin? Not really, I replied. He nodded. Yeah, it's not what I thought it was going to be either. That was interesting, given that he had spent time here as a child. I wonder when his view of the place had shifted. How long does it take you to realize that your childhood isn't what you remember? What does that even mean? Lana asked. This place is... Sam shifted in his seat. Look, I'm not a superstitious guy, but this place has a real heaviness about it. It's always like there's something just bubbling under the surface. It's not like this happens every other Wednesday, Lana said. It's terrible, but you've lived here for like seven years now and nothing like this has ever happened. He didn't reply, but he looked directly at me and I think I knew what he was thinking about because I was thinking about it too. He was thinking about his own grandpa up on that hill, obsessed with all those monsters. It was dark and it was weird. And while this stuff probably happened in the city all the time, it didn't happen to your grandpa and your friendly neighborhood arcade manager. Crown asked a few more questions and eventually he stopped typing. He looked up, pushing his glasses higher on his nose. So, did anyone else see anything important tonight? I hadn't really planned on saying anything, but Crown's open-ended question immediately reminded me of what had happened at the dinner party with Reed. There was this one thing, I said, when we were at Reed's house. I glanced at Sam and Lana, feeling a little guilty. I didn't want to implicate their grandfather in anything. Neither one was looking at me, though, so I pressed on. Brad seemed kind of upset when he left, I said. Hmm, what did you see? Crown asked, placing his hands on the keyboard again. I mean, I don't think it was super relevant, I said. But I saw Reed and Brad talking right before Brad left, and he seemed kind of angry. He showed Reed a piece of paper, and Reed took it and put it in a drawer, and then Brad left. I glanced at Sam again. He was frowning now. He didn't look angry, but he did look worried, and that wasn't an expression I was used to seeing on Sam's face. 
I felt my stomach sink a little. Maybe I should have talked to him first. Crown just kept typing. October 2007. The apartment entryway is empty. Lana's keys are still on the table just inside the door, so I assume she's still in here somewhere. It's dark and it's a little bit cold, like she hadn't turned the heat on tonight. I think about switching on the light, but decide against it. If someone is in here who shouldn't be, I want the element of surprise. This is probably stupid. I had just messed with the lock for a solid 15 seconds, rather loudly too. Still, I set my pie on the ground as quietly as possible and step into the apartment, grabbing the bat we keep by the door. After the things we've seen, a baseball bat seems almost like an insult to the darkness that has settled over our town, like going after a grizzly bear with a pocket knife. If anything, we're just gonna make it mad. I pick it up anyway, all while hoping I won't need it. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>